Welcome to On The Rise Podcast with your hosts, Sam and Evan. Hello and welcome to the On The Rise Podcast. My name is Sam Donsig alongside my co-host Evan Brown. Before we get started, On The Rise Podcast is now streaming on midtownradio.ca Saturdays at 10 a.m. The topics for today's episode are the COVID testing results from the MLB, the Washington Redskins finally changing their name, the MVP race in the NBA, our predictions for the NBA Finals, as well as where Giannis will go in free agency, as well as our picks for the Vesna Trophy winners in the NHL. Let's begin in the NBA, as recent news has come out that the MVP race in the NBA is reportedly already over, as the bubble games will not affect the NBA awards. So now it's obviously time for us to give our predictions on the various awards that the NBA hands out every year, being MVP, Rookie of the Year, uh, Defense defensive player of the year, most improved player, coaches award, and sixth man of the year. So um, I'll begin here. Let's just kind of go through. My pick for NBA MVP is Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I think it's clear cut. It's unanimous. This year he's proven to be another on another level. He's been almost proved to be uh, on another planet because the way he's been playing – the way he's been dominating his position with the whole 30 and 30, like 30 points per game, around 30 minutes per game. That's my pick. Uh, rookie of the year, I have John Morant. I know people saying like, oh, Zion Williamson. No, Zion Williamson should not be rookie of the year. He played 19 games. Yeah, I know he's amazing. He, may, he might win it. Like He'll definitely maybe win um, most improved player next year, if possible, or they might give him an exception, but I do not want him to win rookie of the year. Uh, most improved player, I think I got Shy Gilgis Alexander as my pick. Uh, has really done a good job improving himself from last year. Done a really good job uh, helping with the winning culture or trying to improve the winning culture in Oklahoma City Thunder. My defensive player of the year award is probably going to get some flack, but Ben Simmons, a little bit underrated on the defensive side. Can't shoot a three, can't really, you know, score a basket, but. He can play some pretty good defense. I think he's averaging like between two, like around two plus steals per game and around like, I forget the amount of rebounds again. But I have Ben Simmons as my defense player of the year. Coaches award, Frank Vogel. He has done a really good job, honestly, with the Los Angeles Lakers group. And um, coming in, obviously, with his first year with a lot of personality between um, with DeMarcus Cousins, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and controlling that locker room to create a winning culture back in Los Angeles. Sixth man is Dennis Schroeder. I think he's done a really good job this year to prove himself as a solid bench player, averaging about like 14, 15 points per game with a couple of rebounds as well. What are your picks uh, for those various awards? Yeah, so starting off uh, pretty similar to yours, I do have Giannis at MVP. Like you're saying, it's pretty much unanimous at this point. He has been dominant all season long, really leading that Bucks team well. Uh, rookie of the year, I had to agree. John Morant, uh, like you said, Zion probably gets a lot of picks. There could be some other ones in there uh, as well. Tyler Hero could be a name that was thrown out there. Some other, some other good rookies. But personally, I think Jaw had the most dominant of all the rookie seasons this year. I think he was the best, and I think he led – uh, the Grizzlies for as much as they as far as they could go I don't think I mean they still have a chance to make the playoffs I don't think they're going far but I think he led his team best uh, as far as rookies go I agreed as well with most improved player as yours Canadian Shy Gildas Alexander really stepped up this season uh, in his uh, newer role with the Oklahoma City Thunder I thought he played amazingly well under the wing of Chris Paul I think 
he really played an all-around great game uh, great game this season, and he is easily my pick for most improved. And then my last three, I have a bit of a slight difference with yours. Personally, I'm going with Andre Drummond at Defensive Player of the Year. He is he may have not uh, gotten as many games due to a bit of injury throughout the year and obviously being traded from Detroit to Cleveland. Uh, but he did have a really good year uh, defensively, uh, just pulling up his stats here. He did average uh, over 10 rebounds uh, – sorry, over 15 rebounds a game, game 10, to, uh, 10 defensive, 4 offensive. Uh, he did have uh, um, just under two steals and one and a half blocks per game. I think he is underrated pick to win the defensive player of the year this year. I think he's always been kind of he, – he's known as a defensive player in the NBA, but his defense is sometimes underrated in my opinion. So I think he should win this year. Coach of the year, I have I have to give it to Nick Nurse for the Toronto Raptors. I mean, yes, you could argue Frank Vogel uh, with the Lakers coming in year one and having to deal with a bunch of high high profile type A players, but if you ask me, Coach of the Year, I'm thinking the best coach that has led their team and really helped change their team's season. And in my opinion, Nick Nurse has led the Raptors to a very incredible season that not many people predicted. I think that. A lot of uh, a lot of analysts thought they were just barely a playoff team, maybe getting in max fifth, maybe as low as eighth, just sneaking into the playoffs. And Nick Nurse has really taken uh, with with the loss of Kawhi in the offseason, he has taken it in stride, and he has really shown that this team can be everything and more without Kawhi Leonard. Uh, really showing that this team is an incredible defensive and offensive team that can still compete for the NBA title, and. As much as I don't want to admit it, my sixth man of the year award is Sweet Lou Williams. I, for the longest time, haven't considered this guy to be a sixth man, in my opinion. I've always seen him as a starter. I think on any other team other than the Clippers, he should be a starter, as, and I think he should have been in the past few years. But nonetheless, sixth man of the year is his award. There's literally, between him and Jamal Crawford, there's no other people that come to mind when you think of this award. He is going to win it for me. I mean... He surprisingly only started eight games this season for uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, which surprised me a lot. The fact that Landry Shamit had more starts than him this season uh, playing for the Clippers. But I think, honestly, he's a good enough pick. He's always been producing there as a sixth man. And without Jamal Crawford, I think he is easily my sixth man of the year. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Like, we agree on certain things, and obviously we're going to disagree on other things. And I can see where you're coming with the defensive player of the year. Coaches would, for me, honestly – as much as I want to say, yeah, Nick Nurse did a really good job with the absence of Kawhi Leonard, but you also have, a, I think, honestly, the Toronto Raptors, from they really built off of last season, and I think Nick Nurse really used last season as a motivation to keep going this season, and he's definitely going to be up there, top three. I think probably the top three in voting are probably going to be Frank Vogel, Mike Budenholzer for the Monkey Bucks, and Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse might win it two years in a row. It's very rare that they give it to someone two years in a row Mike Budenholzer could have easily won last year with the Bucks but then we all saw how that came out and I always feel that wait, sometimes wait wait, wait 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 Mike Budenholzer won last year Nick no, Nurse didn't win last year I'm pretty sure it was Mike Budenholzer I'm searching that up real quick but I'm pretty sure it was Mike Budenholzer and Nick Nurse won no no Nick Nurse won one year unless I don't know I'm he won. He won a year ago. I know that for sure. And I think Mike Budenholzer won two years ago when the Bucks were no, like no twenty twenty nineteen. Mike Budenholzer. I have it right here. 
So then Nick Nurse won in 2018? Nick Nurse hasn't won a coach of the year. Maybe oh you know no maybe it wasn't I could have sworn he won coaches coaches year of the year maybe it was two years ago but either way he still should be up there this year and I think he will I think he still will win it this yeah. year but and six man of, six yeah six man of the year I think Lou Williams for me I don't like for me it's like you can say oh he only started eight games but like he really should deserve that starting spot because it's like it's basically in my eyes he's like a starter being forced on the bench and doing really well. Like, I think that's what it is. I think it because of the, the talent in LA, if he was on Cleveland or the Hornets or any other team that's really doing bad, the Wizards, he would be a starter. He would be, he would not be, but I think where he is in LA and where he has been for so many years, where the position where he's been stuck at. So honestly, if I'm Lou Will, yeah, you know, you can collect all the six man of the year awards, but you're never going to win MVP if you're always considered a six man. So I think in my mind, it wouldn't be bad for him to possibly maybe request a trade or look for some else where he's going to be a starting player somewhere else. That's kind of my thoughts on that. Maybe, maybe that's where he wants to, maybe that's his preferred role though. Maybe he yeah. wants to be that best player. And also to put your own logic against you there, uh, so to speak, one could easily argue that Dennis Schroeder should have maybe started over shy Gilgis Alexander or Chris Paul throughout the year. Yes. Both are really good, but as well, Chris Paul is a bit aging on the aging side of things. Schroeder probably did start a few games, and he, in theory, could be a starter on a few teams with point guards, just saying. But either way, I think that's the way with six, six mans, no matter what. I think the, the fact that they are supposed to be a, like a sixth starter, in my mind, and I think Lou Will should be a starter, but uh, I think he is, an very effect, he is a very effective uh, bench player, no matter where he is, and I think that is honestly his preferred role. I don't think he likes to be the starting type that's always out there and is like a high profile guy. I think he likes being uh, like Jamal Crawford was where he likes being the quieter guy that will get things done. And he, he likes coming in and into the game later and really proving what he's worth when he needs to. And I think that's why he, he and Jamal Crawford both have won so many six man of the year awards. Alrighty, moving on into some other news or, predictions per se obviously the finals you know the, the playoffs are going to start soon but we didn't really go into the whole playoffs we just want to focus on the finals so my prediction for the nba finals based on the seeding that's going to be i have the bucks winning the east and the lakers winning the west with the lakers taking down the bucks in seven games here's my reason lebron james has won has gone to eight straight nba finals he wasn't there last year because of his struggles and everything but this is a new LA team. He's healthy. He's doing well. He's going to take down Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers. He's going to take down Giannis because Giannis, in my mind, unless he can, unless like, not saying I don't have faith in Giannis because of what happened last year, but if Kawhi Leonard can manhandle you and manage you and shut you down, as soon as, like the, in my mind, the weakness of the, the Milwaukee Bucks is that if you shut down Giannis, the Bucks are inefficient. They are not a finals contender. But if you cannot shut down Giannis, then you cannot shut down the rest of the team. Yes, you might have a few games here and there where the rest of the Milwaukee Bucks will show up, but you rely on Giannis as your primary scorer. So if, if LeBron James or I would say Anthony Davis are shutting down um, Giannis, then you're going to really have to rely on the other scores. And if they don't show up, then it's game over. So in my mind, I have the Lakers winning in seven games over the, over the Bucks. And, you know, you could say, well, the Raptors are defending champions. 
Well, the Raptors, well, they're missing Kawhi Leonard, and their Pascal Siakam is not the same size as uh, Giannis, and he's not gonna he's gonna be physically dominated in my mind over Giannis. He's gonna be physically dominated, and that's kind of my thoughts on that. What are your thoughts? See, I'll agree with you this. I think LeBron and the Lakers will push past the uh, LA Clippers. I think that much is clear to me. But I'm going the opposite of you. I think every point you just made about the Bucks' weakness is the reason they will lose in the Eastern Conference Final. I think the Raptors are going to make it to the NBA Finals again because of the fact that if they can make it to the if they can push back uh, get back to the Eastern Conference Finals and have to go up against the Bucks, I think the Raptors have the better chance of winning. Yes, while they are the the lower seed, purely because of the fact that I think Pascal Siakam and the defense of Nick, Nick Nurse, uh, Nick Nurse's whole team will be able to not only shut down Giannis between the switches between OG, who I think is an underrated defender, as well as Pascal Siakam for size. And I think the Raptors have the ability to have uh, decent enough perimeter defense to shut down the rest of the uh, Bucks' outside components because there's two ways to handle Giannis. There's either let Giannis go off for, like, say, 40 points and then shut down the rest of his team or shut down Giannis and hope the rest of his team doesn't do well. Yeah. So in my mind, what I think the Raptors do well is I think they can try to contain Giannis as much as they can with Pascal and OG uh, guarding him for most of the game. And I think the Raptors have enough perimeter defenders that they could easily shut down the Bucks because the Bucks around Giannis are supposed to be a three-point shooting team, right? Mm-hmm. Because of Giannis's uh, weak three-point shooting ability, their whole focus has been three-point shooting over the past couple of years, uh, building around Giannis. And I think that is what they're weak. Like, if you can shut down the perimeter, uh, shut down their perimeter, and contain Giannis as much as you can, I think the Raptors can do that, and I think they will push past them in the finals. And then, honestly. Just for the for the fun of it, I'm going six and six. I am going Toronto Raptors over the Lakers in the NBA Finals in six games, based on the fact that after everything they've done, after everything they've worked for, and for my own enjoyment, Raptors are going to get back there. They're going to push past in the finals. They're going to show LeBron who is the more dominant force in the NBA after being tortured by him for so many years in the East. I think the Raptors are going to pull this one out again this year. It's, I might be crazy saying that, and I might just be a big fan, but at the same time, I believe in my squad. I believe six and six. I'm going Raptors over Lakers in the NBA Finals this year. Okay. Yeah, like to your point, I can see where the Toronto Raptors will have, and like they have, they, they do have a good history this year of shutting down the stars, and they seem to have a plan whenever they play players or play teams with one star, like one major star, like the Milwaukee Bucks or the, uh, Houston Rockets with James Harden and stuff is that they focus on one player, but where their weakness is possibly where I see is that yes, you can shut down Giannis as much as you possibly can, but then also you have to, and I, and I'm kind of like probably contradicting myself here where it's, if you shut down Giannis and you have the rest of the team, but I think honestly, the Toronto Raptors do not have it in them to shut down Giannis physically. Yes. You could say, well, they did it last year. Well, that's different because you have Kawhi Leonard defensively to help you. And without Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam is not – like, they're similar, but they're not, they're not the same. Pascal is a few years no, – obviously not. Yeah. So, I think that with – and maybe, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe the Toronto Raptors have it in them defensively and Giannis is going to choke again because he's going to subdue the pressure of the defensive um, – like, 
huge, amazing defensive talent from Nick Nurse that he has. Kudos to him in his, in his you know, boxing one defense and stuff that he ran last year, even this season as well, that has done really well against teams. So I think you make some valid points. And as much as I'd love to see the Raptors go into the finals, I wouldn't mind watching a Bucks and like to watch LeBron James go against Giannis go against the past or I'd say the current versus the future, you know, kind of thing where it's like LeBron James is the current face of the NBA. And I can see Giannis being the next face of the NBA in my mind. Yeah, fair enough. Alrighty, moving on over to our last topic is the uh, day regarding the NBA. Uh, so Giannis Antetokounmpo is a free agent this offseason, so we thought it'd be kind of fun to project possibly uh, top five contenders in no particular order for uh, Giannis to land. So my my uh, to my top five, no particular order. I have the Raptors, the Warriors, the Bucks, the Knicks, and the Thunder. The Raptors, in my mind makes sense like you'd have to give up a few you probably have to trade a player or two and give up some picks but Giannis to the Raptors makes so much sense because you lost Kawhi Leonard yes you have Pascal Siakam but if you have Pascal Siakam and Giannis Antetokounmpo plus Marcus All running the floor plus Kyle Lowry and Fred VanVleet that is an unbeatable five in my mind and yes yes I'm a fan and yes you know a bit biased but I would love it for him to happen I have the Warriors on my list because I can see the Warriors using a big, uh, big physical talent uh, like Giannis Antetokounmpo after losing Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant kind of was that player. They don't really have a big uh, – like Draymond Green isn't what he used to be. He's not a big guy, not, not too big a guy like a Katie or a Giannis. So I can see that being a consideration possibly. Um, the Bucks are on there because in my mind, what's weighing in ultimately for Giannis is that if he wins this year, he will most likely stay with the Bucks. But if he loses for whatever reason to the Raptors, to the Sixers, to the Celtics in any way, or to the Lakers, he's going to say, you know what? You had your chance to keep me. You clear, like In my mind, they've done as much as they could to build a team around Giannis. So if Giannis leaves after losing, it kind of looks like he's running from a fight because he's, like, he's lost two years in a row. But I can kind of see where he's wanting to then leave. So. It's, it's up there. The Knicks are way out there. That's only if, you know, he's only there for the money because we all didn't expect that uh, Kevin Durant would go to the Brooklyn Nets. And I honestly think that the Thunder are kind of an underrated pick in regard to the, uh, like, Giannis and sweepstakes because they do have Shy Gilgis Alexander plus Steven Adams plus Chris Paul. Chris Paul's a little bit older as well as Steven Adams. But if, if you have that kind of lineup in an NBA as a starting five, similar to how Raptors are kind of listed, the Raptors, it's a dangerous starting five, and I would not want to go against that. What are your thoughts there? Yeah. Um, I, I First off, uh, my honorable mention, personally, would have been the Thunder as well. I think that would be just a fun team to watch between exciting uh, young players of Shai and uh, Shai and Giannis working together as well as the uh, the older vets coming together with Chris Paul and Steven Adams, who, who knows who else they might add. But um, my list is obviously Raptors, uh, I think. It would be incredible for them to pick Giannis up. I think it might mean we might have to sacrifice either a Kyle Lowry or a Serge Ibaka contract. Who knows? Either way. But I think with the outstanding performance of Terrence Davis Jr. this season, I think that changes uh, changes a few uh, a few heads. Uh, turns a few heads. Sorry. I think the future of this Raptors team is a bit underrated between Fred VanVleet, uh, Norm Powell improving a lot this season. OG looking like he's going to be good in the future. Pascal looking like we all know he uh, 
we all know he can be. He's obviously standing out a lot more this season uh, as well as last. Uh, and as well as TD2, I think Giannis would want to come to a young, exciting team like this. It might mean we have to lose the uh, lose Kyle Lowry or Serge Ibaka just because they are making so much money. But I think if the Raptors wanted to go out and get them, I think they should. Uh, like you're saying, the Warriors might have to give up a Clay Thompson or a Draymond Green or both to get him. But I think to pair him with Curry, that would be a very good duo. Um, obviously, the Bucks to re-sign him, I think that is a likely option, personally. I think they could still build some more players around them, maybe trade a couple pieces in the offseason for a pick or two. Who knows? Uh, I have the Knicks as well, just because the money is there. Uh, if they offered him a ridiculously high amount of money, I think he might want to go there just to play in uh, Madison Square Garden. And then I have one outlier we never really talked about before the show started out there as my fifth pick. I'm going with the Dallas Mavericks. I think they are quite an interesting team going forward. I think Luka Doncic will be uh, top of the line going into the next few years. And if they have the money, I think they should go out, get Giannis, and then you have two very good small forwards that can easily be moved around in the lineup uh, for the considerable future. And they're both young. They're both, uh, both coming from overseas, which I think plays a little bit of a factor just because they would be coming over to – well, they did come over to America to play, and they are now – two of the best players in the league. In my mind, yes, they are from different countries, but I digress. Uh, but I think that would be just a really interesting team. And I think if they can, if Mark Cuban can give them the money, I think that would be a really good fit for him. Yeah, I, I would agree. I can see now how the Mavericks could be a bit of a sleeper with having uh, Luka Doncic on that team as well. And it's really hard to tell because, like, look at last year. Like, a perfect example, Kawhi Leonard, no one really expected him to go to the Clippers. Like, everyone thought, yeah, he was on there, but it's mostly between the Lakers and the Raptors and maybe one other team. But it was really between that, those three or those two teams, possibly plus the Lakers as well. But no one really fully saw it until no one really knew what was going on. Now, reportedly, and it's interesting to see now this year is like, will Giannis pull a similar move? Will it be as secret as it, or he's going to be open about it? But what's interesting is that I just thought I saw this the other day on social media. Obviously, Toronto is known for trying to recruit. They're trying, like, their hardest. They did it with Kawhi Leonard last year, giving up, um, like, free food and, like, free penthouse and stuff. For What's interesting is Drake is actually releasing a new single, I believe, a new single or album called Grease. Uh, it drops, drops uh, Friday or today. And it's interesting as well to see if that's a little, little hint of saying, hey, I'm dropping a single, Grease, you know, I don't know if that's subduing anything, but I think Drake is know what he's Drake knows what he's doing, and he's trying to be a big ambassador for the brand as he always been to try to get Giannis to come here. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's that could be accurate. I know I, I saw I saw that as well today. I think it's with DJ Khaled. Um, mm -hmm. I think I mean, who knows? Obviously, I think it could be maybe a subtle hint to it. Uh, just because Drake is Drake, and who knows if the NBA will find him for tampering, but I doubt it. Um, <laughs> you just see who the knows next, what happens. You just, you just see the next yeah, day. Who knows what happens? Giannis, Giannis uh, reportedly headed to Toronto. Like the, just the next day after. Oh yeah. <laughs> but as well, you got to consider the factor of the bubble as well. I think yeah. the fact that all the NBA teams are 
uh, in the same place right now really allows for a lot of interaction between teams as well as uh, uh, a lot of the top teams as well because they will be around each other for longer. And I think that will really give the Raptors a bit of an advantage going forward just because, obviously, two top teams in the East. Kyle Lowry could do his thing, maybe talk to Giannis, maybe get him interested. Who knows, obviously. Plus, Who knows? the power of Masai is a very strong GM. And yes, I think he, is. he can easily rope in Giannis uh, with whatever he wanted to. Uh, and I think the Raptors do have a pretty good chance to get him in the offseason. Alrighty, that wraps up our NBA discussion regarding the MVP race, predictions for the finals, and projecting Giannis Antetokounmpo's free agency. Moving on over to some news in the NFL, the Washington Redskins are finally changing their name after, with everything that's going on in the, around the United States, uh, with all the protests and everything that's going on, they are finally deciding to change their name. So we thought it'd be a good idea to kind of predict and kind of think about what should their name be called? Because it's going out there. There's a lot of names that are kind of floating around. The Generals, the Red Tails, the Hogs. So we thought it'd be you know, kind of cool to pick around and decide what we think their prediction of their new name is that will not be offensive in any way to any culture, at least try not to be. Um, so in my mind, in my pick, the Washington Generals – is a solid pick because, yes, the Washington Generals are technically a basketball team because they play the Harlem Daughters, but the Generals would be – and I kind of thought about this. It'd be kind of cool if they had, like, red, white, red, white, and blue uniforms. Like, yes, I think it'd be a little bit, like, not going in the wrong step to, like, have, like, American flag as your uniform, like American flag colors. But I think it would look super dope if they had, like, that. Like, what are your thoughts there? It would be, it would be interesting. Personally, I don't think they should go with the Generals. I think that uh, – I personally like the Red Tails idea. I think it, like, is similar enough where they don't have to do a bunch of changing uh, uh, changing logo. Like, yeah. uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking at an article uh, CBS wrote where they kind of explain origin of some of the names they can go with. And, like, they're, suge- they're saying, and I'm agreeing with the fact that they could easily keep the whole, like, uh, red R logo as well that they kind of have mm-hmm. uh, and stay with the same kind of uh, color scheme uh, of their team already. And plus it would be in, hom- uh, in homage to uh, uh, the Tuskegee Airmen and all uh, the, one of the first all black squadron uh, fighter bomber pilots uh, from world war two. And I personally think that would be a great honor, uh, a great homage to them as well as like very, up at the times considering everything mm-hmm. going on right now uh i think culturally that would be a really appropriate name they wouldn't have to do much to their uh, color scheme or their logo i think that would be a really good pick for them and i think red tails is easily easily a very cool team a cool team name that you could do many different things with their logo i think mm-hmm. they they could obviously they could who knows what they could do the possibilities are endless with that one in my opinion yeah interesting um, now, the, question, the second question I want to ask you is that with everything that's going on and this is like a bit of a touchy subject, but is really changing their name going to make a difference to how they feel? Because obviously the term redskin refers to native, I, believe, I think I forget if it's Apache Indians or Native Americans, native, like I mean Native Americans, but obviously in regards to what we call is that we call them First Nations people uh, here in Canada. They're called a little bit different in the United States. There's other teams like the Blackhawks and the Indians as well that are having to possibly change their name as well. But is, is changing their name really going to be like 
wow, I'm going to support the team now because they changed their name because they're not like, it's been so long that some of these teams have had these team names for since, especially like the Blackhawks and as like being a original six team and they've built all their culture around being like, I don't know. I feel that changing their name is only, they're only changing their name so that people get off their backs and they rent out it and they, you know, escape Dodge out of town and stuff. They're, they're getting away from the flag. And sometimes teams will have to do that. They'll have to make, you know, apology statements and they'll have to change their logo and they'll change their name to be politically correct. But I honestly think that if you change your name just because something is like, and it's, maybe it's good for the time and a lot of people are going to be happy that it gets changed because a lot of people will find it. But I don't think that them having the Washington Redskins as their name, they're not trying to bash you know, the, the Indians, you know, like, if you think about, like, go back to history, is that, yes, you know, in any country, like, especially Canada and or the United States, the Native people, the Native people that were there, were there first, and it's like the settlers came in and, you know, take, a, take over everything, and they took their land wrongfully and stuff, but I think, yeah, I don't know, it's a bit of a stretch in my mind that possibly changing their name is going to make an actual difference for people to be like, I can now support them. What are your thoughts? See, this is where I disagree. I don't think it's going to make people, like, be like, oh, I'm going to support them now. I think they should just change it because they should change it. I think, I mean, I don't think, like, you were were naming some examples there. I do think the Cleveland Indians changed their name. I think their name is highly offensive, and that's going to get changed, and they've already talked about that. I know up here here in the CFL, the Edmonton Eskimos, I think, are talking about their name as well. Uh, The Redskins, obviously, you can see how that one would be. A bit more highly offensive. I don't think they're going to be changing the Blackhawks, though. Uh, not only because it is uh, an original six team, and like, yes, they they've had that name for a long time, but their their origin of the Blackhawks name wasn't meant to like. It wasn't arguably racist. It was no. more of a it was more of an homage name. Whereas Redskins, you can see how it could be considered uh, offensive as well. And the other one that kind of stepping away from the NFL just slightly here for a second that was talked about a lot. As the Atlanta Braves, because they do have uh, the hammer logo and they do have the quote unquote famous uh, famous in stadium event, the Tomahawk Chop. Obviously, yeah. they've had that for a long time. That has been discussed, and it sounds like they're going to be getting rid of that. I don't think they're changing their name. Maybe they change their logo, which I think they should do, um, because yes, while it is it could be considered an homage, I think there are aspects of today's sports climate that were in some parts against people of certain cultures back in the day, obviously, because that is different times and obvious. And these are very, uh, cultures have changed over the years. And I think it is time to get rid of a lot of these injustices against certain people. I think that uh, Cleveland, between Cleveland and uh, Washington, mostly those two names, I think are the ones that have to go the most, uh, obviously with the Redskins and Indians names. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see what they change those names to. Uh, but personally, I think it is important for them to do that, uh, especially in these, uh, especially in today's culture, because what is going on today is a lot different than what happened 50 years ago. 50 years ago, that would be a lot more acceptable in comparison to current times where it's not acceptable. And I think it is, it would have been unacceptable to have these names uh, for the foreseeable future. And I think it is smart for them. And I think it is uh, good to see for the world as a whole that uh, these names are 
being eradicated, in my opinion. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from, and I understand that maybe I'm – and I don't mean to be, like, coming off as, like, I'm – like, I'm just saying is that whenever you change these names, it's like if you're going to change the name because of everything that's going on and everybody's forcing you – but, I, like, honestly, I think that if this hadn't – this major event happened, like, let's say I, let's say George Floyd wasn't killed. But let's say Breonna Taylor, like, I'm just saying, not saying that that's not going to happen. I'm saying it's obviously happened. It's in the past, but no one can. But I'm saying if that didn't happen, we wouldn't be talking about this. The Cleveland Indians, yes, they were talked about because that's very offensive. But the Blackhawks, the Redskins, everyone else were not talked about for the longest time. And people knew about that. But because of these events, I think the world is changing so much and so quickly that people are, me as well, is, are struggling to wrap around to wrap their head around what's happening with regards to every change that's happening. But I think what's also happening in the world that I might get some flag for is that people are digging down a hole and they're digging deep for that hole. Like they're digging 10 feet down to find anything they can to be like, okay, we're going to change. Like, I'll give you a few examples. Uh, Lady Antebellum is now Lady A. Uh, the Dixie Chicks are, have changed their name as well because it's, it's friends. And I think people are becoming – I, I don't want to – they're, they're changing for the better, and it's great to see change because I'm, I'm all for it. And I don't think any race in the world should be treated different or should be racialized in any way or treated poorly in any way because of just the color of their skin. I think everyone should – there is one race, really, the human race. Yes, there's different – people have different skin colors, and people, people are formed differently, and that's just the way it is. But I honestly think that – if changing their name just to change their name to make everyone happy is going to make a difference, I don't know. It, it just seems already for me because it's like these teams have so much – yes, maybe like the Redskins aren't the best team. You know, they haven't been the best team in 20-odd – maybe a maybe, maybe team name change would be better for them to do well. But I think that changing their name, it's going to make a difference for people that – that like that really are against it. And I think that a lot of Americans are probably going to be against it um, because there's so much history with people supporting the Redskins and the Blackhawks and other teams like that. And another example as well, that's not really talked about, I believe is the, the Kansas city chiefs do have, I believe as well, I think it's called the Tomahawk shop as well. So I don't know if that's going to be changed. And the Kansas City Chiefs possibly, like, Chiefs isn't as bad as of everything else, but what it's referring to, if it's referring to Indians and the Native Indians or Apache Indians regarding the Chiefs. So it, it's a really hot topic right now regarding changing their names. And you bring up a lot of valid points. I think the world is changing right now, and it's changing for the better. But I think if really, if these events did not transpire, the following events that I just that I listed – then I honestly think people wouldn't be talking about it. And it's, and I'm not saying what happened was good, but I think honestly, these events almost needed to happen for the world to change because if these events didn't happen, we would be, we would be living in a much different world right now. And it would be similar to the world 2019, 2018, 2017. It'd be similar to that world, but 2020 is a new world right now. People are changing. Uh, people, people are educating themselves, which is good. And I think that's kind of the future right now of the world is that people are trying to educate themselves on so many things. And, and I think that's just kind of where the world is going. My final, like just one last final statement for me on that is the fact that 
I, I do, I do get where you're coming from. And I think uh, my only one thing is the fact that the Redskins were the only one that were really forced to change their name, in my opinion, because they were going to be losing sponsorships after like, I think FedEx, the, their stadium owner uh, mm-hmm. was going to, a lot of their sponsors were going to uh, leave the team if they weren't going to change their name. But yeah. what I think the initiative is, is the teams that are recognizing, okay, we were built off of the same, uh, this built off of similar ideals and our names were produced because of that. So we're deciding we're taking it upon ourselves, like the Cleveland Indians, for example, who weren't like forced to make a certain decision. They just recognized the fact that, okay, we've been talking about this for a bit. We realize where, what our, what our name means. We realize what is going on. We're going to take a step back. We're going to take it upon ourselves to move forward with a different name. In my opinion, I mean, I think maybe who knows, maybe they were forced obviously, but in my opinion, the Redskins were the only ones that are being technically forced to. And then the other teams are taking the smart initiative of uh, going forward and moving in this changing culture. Definitely. Already that wraps up our NFL discussion regarding the Washington Redskins and them finally changing their name. Moving on over to some NHL news. Connor Hellebuck, Tuka Rask, and Andre Vasilevsky have been named the three Vezina finalists for this year. So the question is, who is your pick for goaltender of the year? Because looking at the stats between Rask, Hellebuck, and Vasilevsky, I have my pick, but I'd love to get your thoughts on who is your pick for Vezina this year, for the Vezina goaltender. In my opinion, in my opinion, the one that could be a bit of a sleeper, but in no way is going to win it, in my opinion, is Connor Hellebuck. I think um, his winning percentage and, yes, well, he does have uh, one of the top save percentages in the league and one of the, the most amount of shutouts. Personally, I don't think he had enough wins. I think uh, the, yes, one could argue the Winnipeg Jets wouldn't have been the team they were uh, this season without him. Yes, they would have been still decent offensively, but their defense was really lacking this season, and Connor Hellebuck really had to step up. Uh, in absence of their defense. Um, but personally, I think winning it is going to be too Rask. I mean, uh, Andre Vasilevsky is an amazing goaltender and has been for the, uh, and has an incredible winning percentage, uh, 67% to be exact this season uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And they had a really good season and they started off poorly and then kind of slowly crawled their way back as they moved to pro- uh, as they got later in the season. And I think he had he was a huge part of that uh, in reference to Vasilevsky. But in my mind, uh, with the play of the Boston Bruins this year uh, and the play of Tuukka Rask really leading them this year, sixty five percent sixty five percent winning percentage, a bit lower than Andre Vasilevsky. But in my mind, the biggest part of him winning the Vesna is that nine to nine save percentage. Mm-hmm. In current in today's current NHL, there are a lot of sh- shots being thrown on net and. A lot of the time we are seeing, and overtime, sorry, we have seen save percentage slowly go down. The days of a goaltender having a 940 save percentage are gone because there are so many great scores in this league. There's so many different ways to score now. There are so many like sharpshooters. There are so many rebounds out front. There's so many. There's a lot more tip-in goals now where, that are a lot harder to stop. And I think in my mind, Tuka Rask with that save percentage really stands out to me. Uh, it's absurd for a goaltender uh, in today's NHL to even be close to a 930 let alone one percent off a point one percent off and I think he in my mind has to be the Vesna uh Vesna Vesna trophy winner for this season what are your thoughts yeah it's interesting because you know 
in my mind, Tuka Rask is probably up there, like in regards to, to like he's, he's the top three, maybe he's number two for me. But I honestly think that Andre Vasilevsky is my pick, and you know, and I and I'm a stats guy. I look at the numbers and I look at everything. The save percentage isn't as high, but one thing I look at is that the amount of wins he's had. Like if he's played, uh, I believe it was 30, uh, like it was like 50 plus games. He has 30. He's 35 and 17 overall. Tuka Rask is 26 and 14. So you look at that, and it's ve- like they're very similar in winning percentage, and they they one played more games than the other, and one has a better save percentage. You don't really look at sh- uh, shoutouts or shoot <laughs> shutouts too much in the NHL in regards to goalie stats, but I honestly think that Vasilevsky has done well to help like really bring back the Tampa Bay Lightning in regards to their winning ways. Like you said as well, they struggled early on in the year with regards to winning and stuff. And, and as he kind of got more comfortable in the net again this year and got better and better, I think Vasilevsky is my pick for Vezina. Not Don't get me wrong. Tuka Rask had an amazing year. The Boston Bruins had an amazing year. Connor Hellebeck, not as good as year. Honestly, you think he needed more wins to be considered better. But in, what's interesting as well about Connor Hellebeck is his save percentage is only 0.5 off of Rask. He's like second highest in save percentage, which I think is really underrated because it's like, yeah, he didn't have as many wins, but in regards to actually stopping shots and having save percentage, he did pretty well. So was it maybe the offense that was struggling in regards to the whole situation with the Winnipeg Jets? But if you look at Vasilevsky, yes, the save percentage isn't as high, but the the number that sticks out to me is wins and losses and winning percentage at 67%. For a goaltender to have 67% win percentage of their games is pretty good to me. Yeah, the only reason Hellebuck isn't anywhere close to the other two in my mind, yes, he does have uh, seven, uh, seven points off save percentage there. Uh, personally, I think the win-loss ratio isn't good enough. I think um, including OT losses, a 31 and 26 record is mediocre in my opinion. He played, he had to, he had to step up a lot more uh, for the Winnipeg Jets uh, this season. And one could argue, yes, Tugarask at 26 and technically 14 isn't as, isn't all too much better. Uh, well, it is, it is better, but it's not <laughs> yeah, comparable it's to, it's not, it's not comparable to Vasilevsky. Um, Personally, I think the Boston Bruins had reason to not play him as much. As, like, I think Rask, if he played the same amount of games as Vasilevsky, would have had the same amount of wins, in my opinion, just yeah. because uh, they didn't have to start him as, as much. And that's kudos to uh, Yaroslav Halak, who has been an incredible backup goalie for the Bruins this season uh, and has really helped them push for that number one seed uh, in the Atlantic. I think he had to Rask and Vas- uh, and uh Yaroslav Halak have both combined to be uh, a Vesna quality goaltender this year they have really pushed for their team they have really uh both of them have really uh led the Bruins uh on that back end and I think Tukarask is almost a bit underrated in that sense because he didn't get to play as much games as Vasilevsky but he was that good this season with that almost 930 safe percentage and while yes lower wins but also just almost as good win percentage uh, in less games where six of them went to overtime, which also gives him a better credit because he kept games going for that long in which mm-hmm. his team wasn't doing as well, uh, in my opinion, which matters. While I don't really like the one pity point overtime rule and all the shootout stuff, yeah. it does, it do, you, you do got to give credit to the goaltender in the sense that, okay, in some of those games, your team was either barely 
barely staying in and you kept them in until they could tie it up or mm-hmm. you felt the pressure of the game uh, late into overtime and you held down the fort while your team got the game winner whichever yeah. that whichever situation that may be in my opinion that's why Tukarask wins the Vesna. Yeah, and I think you too, like to another point as well is that in the NHL, finding a good backup goalie is hard, to, like a solid backup goalie, because obviously, yes. with there being 82 games in a season, a starter cannot play 82 games. Like they'll, they might push for like 50 or 55 to 60, which is a big limit for a starting goaltender. But I think one of like, and I don't need to point figures, but the Leafs really struggle with this, is that they have a good, pretty solid starter, terrible backup. So I think right now, like when you look at the numbers, Tuka Rask didn't play as much games because, yeah, like you said, they didn't need to play him as much. Vaskovsky played more games because they didn't have a solid backup. So if, like, I think honestly, if Rask played more games as well, I would agree with you as well that if Rask had played the same amount of games as Vasilevsky, I think probably save percentage might be a little bit different, but very close. And I think the win-loss ratio in regards to total losses and OT losses together could be very similar but I still think with the stats that we have presented here today with us, Vasilevsky is my pick for the Vezina, our Vezina goaltender of the year. Also, don't think I'm going to let you get away with that backup goalie shot. We have Jack Campbell now. We don't, we don't, we don't have – well, Kaski Squo is in the minors, but he's getting better. We have Joseph Ball coming up. We're going to get better backup goalies, okay? We're working on it. We have Jack Campbell now. The days of Garrett Sparks are behind us. We're, the days of Michael Hutchinson are behind us. Jack Campbell is here. He is better. We're doing better. Honestly, I, I can't really say much because I'm a Blackhawks fan and both the starter and the backup are pretty trash. So not can't really say much anyways. But I'm just, I'm just throwing shots at where I can throw shots at with the Toronto, Beliefs, Toronto Maple Leafs. Because anytime I can make fun of them, I will do it. Just the uh. action. But then again, you could literally take it to show Blackhawks and their whole team is like not doing that. But they're not even in the playoffs. So like they are, but they well. <laughs> Anyways, that wraps up our NHL discussion regarding Hellep- Connor Hellebuck, Tuka Rask, and Andre Vasilevsky being named the Vezina finalists. Welcome back to On the Rise podcast. Moving on over into our last topic of the NBA regarding the MLB. Six new players, uh, or six NBA MLB players, since the newest testing results have come up for the MLB, has tested, have tested positive for COVID-19. One of the players being Yasel Puig, testing positive and not signing the Braves because obviously part of signing a contract is you have to pass a physical, but if you have COVID, you can't really run a physical. So he has decided, or the Braves have not decided to sign them. So what does this mean for the future of Yasel Puig going forward? And I want to get your thoughts on this, especially being more of a baseball guy than me. What does this yeah. mean in regards to, I mean, like for his contract the- and stuff, or where does he go from here? For Yasiel Puig, in my mind, I think there is still, I think maybe the Braves, because of the circumstances that prompted them to sign him, which was the fact that they were down in a few outfield injury early on in the summer camp and they weren't looking strong in that position that's why they made the move to try to sign him in the first place and obviously Mm -hmm. like you were saying it's hard for him to pass a physical after he reveals a test positive so it makes sense it made sense after he technically failed his physical that the Braves did not sign him Um, but I still think that if Yasiel Puig can build up the strength I still think the Braves will want to sign them they just got Freddie Freeman back he is COVID free now and he is going to be uh, going to be back into their summer camp. And I think he just got on the field for the first time uh, recently. 
But I think Yasiel Puy could be a big off, a big offensive help for them in the outfield. They have had a couple injuries, and I think they are looking to make a push this year. And I think Yasiel Puy, if he can stay healthy, would be a decent help for them. But obviously, if he can't recover for like, yes, yes, in theory, he will recover from COVID nineteen. But there are there could be long lasting effects with the virus. There could be long lasting breathing issues, long lasting physical issues right it all depends on how he's stayed conditioned and how his lungs react to it obviously and that's going to be key for him going forward because if you can't because he's a, he is in, in his own a very fast player and he is a very uh he has a lot of stamina running the bases he is a base stealer and I think that will come into play when he is supposed to be an outfielder you're trying to track down fly balls you're trying to make those difficult catches like he did in his prime and it's tough to do that when you're having breathing problems. And I think that's another reason why they didn't want to move it, uh, uh, stay with him after he did uh, uh, confirmly test positive because mm-hmm. it, it, it can have a long-lasting effect. And that is tough because especially for Yasiel Puig, who, while, yes, isn't that old, but he is older in terms of MLB standards where he is in his mid-30s. Uh, and I think... For him, I think some team will still pick him up. I think there is still options out there, and I think um, somebody will pick him up. But it'll be interesting to see what the uh, future will hold for Yasiel Puig because it can be tough for him going into the future. And obviously, who knows if teams will be deterred to sign him because of that or if that means the Braves revisit it at a later time. Who knows? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question as well just regarding not only Yasiel Puig but any player in the MLB that has tested positive is that, okay, what happens when they recover and they go back next season? How is that, how is their, that, that them having COVID for six or eight weeks or how long they have it affecting them physically in regards to their overall talent, in regards to their ability? Because I think it does deter some teams from signing players or starting players as long as so many innings or so many games. Like, I think maybe players that have tested positive for COVID-19, let's hope they recover. And I think most likely they will because they're very healthy athletes and a lot of young, healthy athletes have recovered. Is that it's like, what happens then in regards to, okay, like, like yeah, how many games are they going to start? Are they going to be limited to certain things because of their limited breathing, struggle to play long time? Like, what does this really, and like, we'll go into the second question, does this major step, forward give all players extra confidence this a little bit different but does this major step forward give all players extra confidence that this season can continue what are your thoughts yeah answering, yeah, answering your kind of answering your first question like uh similar to how the nhl is right now we've seen a lot of different teams uh deem players quote not fit to practice uh in current summer camps and i think it's because some of them a might have tested positive and their uh their health may have not like their ability to train and stay fit throughout quarantine would have been limited, obviously. And some of them can't, aren't ready to go back on the ice, right? They need to work out more. They need to get back into game ready shape. And that's why you see a lot of the NHL teams saying players are quote unquote, not deemed fit to play. Um, And that's what we're seeing, I think with the MLB, but in a different sense where free agents aren't getting signed because of things like that. Right. Uh, Anybody, anybody can pick anybody up obviously, but if there has been considerable amount of time where in the off season where, or well, rather the quarantine period where you were at home doing not much, you obviously will be gaining weight. You won't be as fit. You're losing stamina. Your lungs won't be the same when you get back into play. 
And I think that is a big question for a lot of teams. And as for major step forward, six, six new tests is huge for the MLB because they do so many testing. There are so many players, so many coaches, so many different media members. Mm-hmm. I think this, uh, this six made the total up to 93 total tests, uh, positive tests. And I think the total was like 0.05% of all and, and MLB players and staff had tested positive with that 93. And I think that is huge. I think the fact that there are only six cases now that a lot of uh, teams are back into training camps is huge. Obviously, who knows what the climate will hold for uh, our friends over the border or e- even here in Toronto. Um, but I think with the strict policies, policies that teams have in place for just going to their assigned hotel room and the stadium, uh, I think this is huge. I think players will see now that, okay, there are only six new tests. We have COVID mostly, in a sense, bubbled outside of what they have right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that obviously there will meet, there will be more tests, in my opinion, that, that is inevitable with such a large sample size. But I think the fact that there's only six right now is huge for the MLB to give a lot more players confidence, as well as even in other sports confidence, that this bubble format works. Because you clearly see a difference where there have been le- – the, ca- the amount of cases has gone down as the week-to-week positive. I think even uh, over the past five days, their testing has revealed no new cases where, in regards to a lot of the MLB's testing. And I think that's huge. It means that this bubble format does have the potential to be as COVID-free as possible. It shows that there can be no cases for a few days of co- – uh, uh, for multiple days on end. Uh, with this, with the bubble method, whether that be obviously the hub cities or going like just staying restrict policies or going to the NBA uh, yeah. bubble in Orlando, and I think that gives a lot of uh, a lot of confidence to those players because it shows this is this can actually work. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think with every the amount of NBA or the MLB players, staff, media people, media personnel, commentators that have all been probably tested with the number of the, and only having six new, well, this is six new players, not new, just new in total, but six new players testing positive is very low considering the amount of cases happening right now daily in the United States. And the fact that professional athletes, especially the MLB are having this low of testing is a good step forward to show that I think, and I think that most of the times anyways, these players that do test positive, do not play, they go outside the bubble, and it keeps them outside of the bubble, keeping everyone inside the bubble that is tested negative safe, and they can resume play, they can be as safe as possible. And I think that it is, it does give confidence to certain players, and I certainly I know a number of players are still iffy and awry about playing due to family concerns, overall health and safety, which they totally have the right to with the amount of cases they like the U.S. has every day and the growing number of totals and the growing tests, uh, the de- total number of deaths. But I honestly think that this puts confidence in me personally saying, okay, you know what? I had a lot of doubt with all the number of cases happening from athletes and everyone else like around the different leagues, but to only have six new players test positive with the number of players that they probably tested with the newest round of results came in out. I think this is a big step forward for not only the MLB, but other leagues, like you said as well, that's saying this is possible. We can return to play. We just have to be very, very careful. Yeah, and the thing with these six new tests is this is over the past week, and I think in total over the five over the past five days, uh, let alone the full week, there have been no new cases. So those six were only a week ago. So we have been, in theory, 
MLB, like the MLB has had no new positive cases over the past few days, which I think even, even uh, boosts that confidence more mm-hmm. because it shows, hey, we can go for a few days on end for sure and continue this where we have no cases, nobody's going in or out, nobody's interacting with no, anybody outside of this. So if we can control this, uh, control the bubble, then we can make sure that nothing gets in, nothing gets out, and we can make sure all of our players are safe going forward. Definitely. Alrighty, that wraps up our MLB discussion regarding the six new players that have tested positive for COVID-19, including Yasuo Puig. And what does this mean for the MLB going forward? This has been episode 44 of the On The Rise podcast with your host, Sam and Evan. Be sure to check out our website, ontherisepodcast.ca, and our Instagram at Rise Podcast. We'd like to give thanks to all Midtown Radio listeners. Make sure to tune in next week for more great sports content.